welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 267. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, here we are to talk about two things. Yes. We're going to do media review day. Yeah, very good. Which we don't often do. No, we don't. No, no. Uh, You know, it's not something we do all the time, but today we're going to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, we have waited to weigh in on the Game of Thrones final. We feel like everyone has gotten everything out of their system. Now we can give you... Our expertise, um. <laughs> which is which is, as we're, we're steady watchers at the show. Yeah, no, and you know, um, and as opposed to seemingly the majority of folks, you and I were both okay with the way it ended. Yeah, yeah, I I found it satisfying. I liked. Uh, the, yeah, that's the words I used as well. That was satisfying. We got ghost one ear and all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, for instance, I mean, she had to. I think there was no way, Danny. Could live after, and and you know, people talked about it being an abrupt change, but I, certainly I've, you know, you've seen it coming. I mean, when was the episode where she uh, massacred, you know, when she crucified people and she fried people? I mean, she, it's quite within her ability to to be that way. So, uh, yeah, I think for folks now, again, if you went ahead and named your daughter Daenerys, uh, that's on you, man. That's on you. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I feel like so. Some of this is like. Yeah. Like Jamie Lannister's character change was probably more textured and over more time. Yeah, and he's probably a better actor, a more experienced actor. Yeah, I think yeah. Daenerys, though, it was there. You're right. And if it was in a movie, we would have, all of those would have been like compressed and we would have got it. Yeah. The thing is, you're comparing something cinematic, which was like a long movie, to like, right. you know, seven other seasons. Like, I mean, that's not, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things we could complain about yeah i think you know partially they're they're a victim of their own success because you know seasons one through six were they were sometimes fantastic i mean and some of the development and the twist and things like that when they were trying to wrap things up um yeah i think it felt i think it certainly felt rushed because it was even though if it took 15 nights to film one scene i mean that that i guess it wouldn't feel fresh rushed if you were on the ground yeah, I mean, and also fantasy is just tough as a genre. Yeah, yeah takes, you were talking about who, what podcast were you listening raw, to? Uh, it was yeah. the Glop podcast, which Glop, is yeah. Goldberg, I forget, uh, Pod Horowitz and somebody else, but uh, they had Ross Douthat as a guest, and yeah. he was basically saying that, you know, that fantasy, the only successful fantasy genres in film or television have been Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, because it's just, it takes a lot of texture to do it well, like, he was saying that superhero movies, you can make a B minus movie and still be really enjoyable because it's not as complex right, of, a, of, a, right. of a textured world. But, and, you know, his complaints were that like Game of Thrones tried to do the impossible, which is have this fantasy textured Tolkien-esque kind of world and at the same time merge Machiavellian politics. And, and in a rush last season, didn't deliver on both. So I mean, right, you could you could right. fault them for that, but yeah, yeah. I think uh, what happened to Jon Snow was 
uh, I actually thought because he's kind of the, the he is the heroic figure. Those those folks usually die. So the fact that he, I guess he kind of had a social death. Though I mean, you know, if you don't mind the cold weather, it's not a bad gig. <laughs> I mean, he's much more happier up there than he would be in King's Landing. That's for sure. I feel like Tyrion is like if if Kissinger would have been popular. <laughs> No, or, or, well, what if, if Kissinger had had a heart? How about that? <laughs> they will settle for a life sentence. You will go north. <laughs> I might have to piss off the end of the yeah. world in 10 years. Yeah, no, it was, uh, and I think uh, Sansa becoming the uh, queen of the north, that's good. Arya going on an adventure, that all works. Yeah, it works for me. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, do you think it's part of the degree of just the emotional investment in this show is just another aspect of trying to escape from what's going on in the world. Oh, yeah. yeah, We are are exacting in our expectations of entertainment, and we are completely accommodationist and settling in our expectations. I mean, yeah, I mean, mean, the fact is, you know, there are churches being torched in Nigeria. Venezuela has become a, um, you know, borderline, um, I don't know what you call what's going on in Venezuela, uh, other than just tragic and a catastrophe and a human you know, a human tragedy uh, that certainly didn't need to happen. Uh, you've got our own multiple political crises. You have a president who's totally disregarding the rule of law. Uh, so you got, you know, we've got some issues. He's there. not disregarding the rule of law. We've got Bill Barr. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you. His wingman. Yeah. I tell you. Um, in between Barr and Mnuchin, I, what a, what a, oh, and then, you know, what, it, what was it, the, Ben Carson got confused about yesterday, something about comparing HUD to Oreos. I'm not sure what happened yesterday. With I, I say again, Ben Carson, who ran for president and lost and said he wouldn't want to be health and human services director because he's not qualified to run an executive department office, which he's a medical. So why are you running for president? Because you're going to run all of them. He's a neurosurgeon. He was at least. Yeah. 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 And then he took over the HUD job. I heard him give a, a commencement address that was actually pretty good. I don't know what's going on. Well, well, yeah, it can't be all bad if you're playing. No, I mean, he was a neurosurgeon. So Cubic Gooding Jr. I mean, you know, people, that's a pretty, uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's serious stuff, man. So I don't know. I don't know what happened to him, or maybe this was just one dimension of him that was always there. You know, I have, there are a lot of great doctors that I wouldn't want to put in charge of anything. So I accept your body. So at any rate, I don't know. Um, yeah, so that uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, uh, have you been watching? What's what's your replacement? Have you do you have a replacement for it yet? I mean, no. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm always watching so many shows. There's yeah. no replacement. Like, I, no, I, no. I, I like the 100 right now a lot. I think it's pretty good. I, I like society. That's very interesting. Yeah, but uh, well, the Chernobyl thing on HBO is excellent. I have not watched that yet. Yeah, and I'm excellent. totally pro nuclear power. Yeah, so. well, good. You'll enjoy, uh, you'll enjoy this then. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because it's nuclear or it's the planet. So yeah, well, yeah, that's... Uh, billions is fantastic, and yeah, I'm going to go back and uh, rewatch Deadwood. I don't think I think I petered out. I, I think I watched the first two seasons. There was a third season that was actually that was like watching Shakespeare. Uh, there's an interesting. I can't. I read the article yesterday. It might have been in the Atlantic. The head writer for Deadwood is. Um, has Alzheimer's, and uh, it's interesting how he's still functioning, writing. But um, yeah, an interesting. It was an interesting um, 
interesting story. So I think it was in the Atlantic. I believe that's where it was. So anyway, it's worth, that's worth looking up. If both of us develop Alzheimer's, if we could get a volunteer, we'll keep the show going. <laughs> but the interesting thing, when anyone knows the difference. Right, that's what I was going to say. We just keep saying the same things over and over again. Anyway, so it doesn't really yeah, matter yeah. all that so, much. So, well, we hope that doesn't happen. So, And then um, you actually have always been a big a big fan of Invisibilia. So Love I, it. And I was on the road a lot the last couple of weeks. So I actually listened, and I listened to an episode on empathy. And so as soon as I got done, I said, we have to talk about this because it was uh, – a very fascinating episode. Yeah. Basically, it's the story was, um, and again, if you don't know Invisibilia, they do kind of long stories, right? It's kind of, how would you describe Invisibilia? It's a long form kind of narrative thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the tagline is examining the invisible forces that shape human behavior. So generally, the, the subject is some sort of intangible noun. Yeah, you, there was the earlier episode this year on pain. It was yeah. excellent. They've yeah. done things on clothing, yeah. on thinking on like all sorts of amazing stuff and so the this episode empathy was actually they were interviewing right an artist who or a a journalist who wanted to be on the staff they were trying them out yeah yeah and she basically submitted as her field work a refutation of a story on they they actually gave it to her as a trial yeah yeah and so her take on it was totally different uh Basically, it was about the, was he Canadian? The guy, or I think he was. Uh, yeah, there was a guy that the whole who was an outspoken member of the cis movement, the, the incel movement. Incel, I'm sorry, not cis. no, not I'm, cis. That's just like I mean, brand. Brand. I was going to say yeah, incel. Yeah, that's the, right. The, I had uh, brand. On, I had brand yeah. on my mind. <laughs> uh, cisgendered male. That's the amazing thing. Uh, <laughs> cisgendered white male yeah. right, runs from the north. Runs, from the north runs. Uh, Who's not himself anymore? Right. Yeah, Who, so uh, that, yeah. But anyway, why not? Why not? Exactly. Yeah. But uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, it, so yeah. the incel movement is for people who are uh, men, involuntary men who are involuntary celibates, which angry, is angry. most guys, but it's at some point in their lives, right? <laughs> angry, angry, yeah. angry. Yeah, most of them angry young men. Yeah. And they call women things like femoids and are very yeah. misogynist and basically are sort of anti empathetic, angry. I, they basically white guys. They uh, yeah. Uh, no, but uh, they're, they're men who can't figure out why women don't want to have sex with them. And if you spend any time listening to them, it's pretty clear why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty angry group of people, angry by group. and large. And I think it's one of the, you know, it's, it's interesting. What are the fallouts of the sexual revolution, which... Those of us who are sociology majors always argue that happened in the 1920s. Not I thought the you were a psychology major. Uh, minor sociology. I spent right. a, lot I like a lot of social psychology, actually. Yeah. And you're the best of all worlds. I actually had one major and four minors or something. What like were the other two? History, English, and sociology. I thought fourth would be women's studies. but No, no, I didn't get to do that. Yeah. Although I did some studying of that, but yeah. uh, oh my, it was an independent. It was an independent study. <laughs> <It's actually pretty laughs> cool. So yeah, yeah so yeah. they they talk about empathy, and uh, Hannah Rosen does the story in this guy who had left the incel movement. Like he was in the movement after a really violent outbreak, or, or a, a guy in the movement, I think in Canada, killed eleven people or something, and they oh, found he's the guy who drove the by drove the the guy in Canada drove the car through the yeah. crowd, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so this guy, Jack, I think, was willing to be interviewed. And in talking to the mostly female journalists, he actually figured out that, you know, 
all women aren't bad people, as Hannah Rosen tells the story. And he actually wound up leaving the incel movement. And, and before that, he had had this really kind of abusive relationship with his girlfriend where he was the stalkerish, abusive kind of person when they broke up when she was 14. I mean, he was a minor too, but sent her new She was pictures. older than him, yeah. Yeah, but he sent new pictures to like her parents and all her friends or something. And after they broke up, several years later, he like flew. They, they're both adults at this point. He flew to see her several states or provinces away or something. And, and they had this really weird tussle in a car. And uh, so basically, I mean, he was not a great guy to this woman. <laughs> and I mean, it was, this is an understatement. And then he basically left the incel movement and became a kind of critic of it on his YouTube channel. And he, now he's a Jordan Peterson follower. So there you go. There we go. There's, there's an evolution. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> well, Hey, I mean, you can, uh, well, I guess if you can get that many YouTube followers. It's better you know. than stalking. Yeah. One of the, yeah. the center story about it was that, and part of what it was, was how they heard this central story. And, uh, the, well, the central story is that she's away at college and, uh, he she won't return his call. He wants to see her, so uh, he shows up. I guess like in the mid, in middle of the night, like middle of the night, and they're driving around. Now she makes him take off all of his clothes except his underwear because yes, she wants to make she wants sure to, he doesn't have a weapon. Have a weapon. <laughs> okay, so they're driving around. I'm going to do that before you come to the bunker. <laughs> they, they're driving around, and for whatever reason, she's she kind of starts. I mean, whatever happens, she's kind of either defending herself or strangling him. A cop comes up. And he tells, in the way he tells the story, I didn't want her to get in trouble, so I I told the policeman that I was trying to, I was going to commit suicide. So he ends up being put into a mental uh, ward for a couple of days. And so uh, part of the way he tells the story that he sacrificed, he did that to save her, yeah. to save her, even though he was stalking her, yeah. So, and she was choking him in the car. I mean, when that happened, I mean, so right. Yeah, sure. And she was a little bit bigger than him, apparently. I mean, we don't. I mean, yeah, that's, we, we, everyone agrees on that part of yeah, the story too. Yeah. But uh, basically, the woman who responded to the story said that telling Jack's story empathetically actually wound up telling untruths. That, like, basically, in Jack's own telling of the story, he shaded the truth. Uh, you know, and human memory is always weird, right? So we right. all probably do some of this, but. Right. But in retelling the story empathetically to show that this person, I guess Hannah Rosen's purpose in doing this is saying basically the sort of thesis behind her whole show and all her reporting, like empathy, like showing people how other people think. Even the most objectionable or offensive people from your point of view have a point of view that you could enter into kind of thing. And so the person who responded to it said basically this kind of storytelling makes the world a worse place. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then they did kind of a backstory about okay, the whole movement to promote empathy. That uh, certainly that was part of my education, uh, and you know, it was it was a response a little bit to World War II, saying okay, if only the Germans had been more empathetic, they may have uh, not done the things they did. It actually, you know, it's a movement that came out of... There's actually a German therapist. It's, it's, I mean, you know, Germany empathetic. I mean, we need more empathy. <laughs> so this idea that the, the, the chief problem of humanity is its inability to have empathy for one another. So this idea, the way we were, uh, you know, basically educated and socially engineered through educational systems and through even, you know, media, the idea that if we could only 
understand everyone's story from their perspective, then, you know, uh, there would be, you know, that could be the end of genocide. It could be uh, an opportunity for us to become together as a better people and such. And, you know, certainly, like all great good ideas and all bad ideas, there's there's certainly a lot of validity to the notion that, you know, we should try to understand where people are coming from, that uh, we all have a individual bias, that we tend to look, we can only look through things through our own lenses. And the ability to try to look through people's eyes is something that, you know, helps us try to understand each other. But I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlan, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butrin, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedian, Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. It's interesting, though, because one of the researchers shows that that terrorists are not under empathetic they're incredibly empathetic and they are empathetic for the suffering of their own people and not empathetic to the people who they suicide bomb right and so it's interesting because the one who responds that there's a problem with empathy talks about hearing a white nationalist story and she basically felt a moment of sympathy for the guy and then she almost was going to throw up because she's like, if I feel this way, we'll lose the war basically. And so basically what has evolved is it's not that empathy has fallen out of style. It's that empathy now is for our kind. And so, you know, Jimmy Fallon, right. Takes uh, a bit, you know, he had to to apologize for messing with Trump's hair because you humanize like an (laughs) air. So every ounce of public space now is a battleground. And, and it's not that we're, not empathetic it's that we're empathetic for who our heroes are and there's no empathy to be had for villains right which may actually be the full circle back around right because germany if you if you, if the test case is uh nazi germany what was the narrative that came out of world war one that we actually won this war and initially the social democrats are the one that took it away from us they're the ones that made the settlement and uh 
And then so, you know, that that was the groundwork. I mean, and didn't Hitler, when he conquered France, have this surrender declaration right. signed in the streetcar they signed, the Trevor yeah. sign, and then blew it up? I don't know if he blew it up, but they did have the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I think they blew it up. They blew up. I can't remember that part. So there's a sense where it's actually, it's, I mean, to call it an over-identification with the group you um, support, I'm not sure that's even, that's, your, that's not actually empathy. That's uh, that's just a return to tribalism, the very thing that the whole movement tried to tried to stop, yeah, or tried to tried to correct. So I, you know, but all, all empathy started tribally. I mean, because evolutionarily, human sure, beings, yeah, like, sure, so sure. in gonna, part of, you know, as as uh, what's it, Jonathan Haidt says, morality's purpose, evolutionary, is to bind and to blind. It's to yeah. bind you mm -hmm. together and blind you to the out group and and make you identify with the in group. So empathy, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think that. What's radical about Judeo-Christian kind of lenses and the Enlightenment lenses is that they say that we should ought we should have as the object of empathy all humanity. Like, right. and so I think that our which is actually counterintuitive to our evolution. And I right. think that in this in this uh, kind of the way this episode plays out, the the younger sort of millennial woman uh, is sort of advocating that tribal right. view and and it, it's interesting because it, it winds up at the end of the episode that jack really doesn't tell a story as he's a reformed guy who's more who's less misogynic misogynist he basically says you know my life wasn't working so i tried to get less hateful <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah and i think that might be the you know christianity's universalism may be one of the reasons one of the things working against it right Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. yeah, because it's not not in style. I mean, so that's why you have. I mean, there's a sense where there's a lot of things in our current culture that Christians could and need to be moderating. Um, you know, that's you know, for instance, in terms of the abortion debate right now, I think uh, um, one of the, unless you're an extreme where you can kill the you can abort the child up to its birth. And, you know, so you have the right to, you know, ultimately, you know, terminate a pregnancy at any time, uh, which would be infanticide. Or you're the person like the Alabama legislature that says, you know, absolutely no abortion. So those are kind of consistent. Which Pat Robertson said <laughs> went too far. I mean, <laughs> you don't hear Pat Robertson very often say something in Alabama is intemperate. So the reality of it is, the majority of people in this country have have a have a kind of a, a relativistic view of, of how to this issue. It's you know, for instance, you're not you're not a would be if you think that abortion can happen because of rape or incest, then you've you've left a purely you know pure a pro life position, if you would. Uh, and uh, the same thing too is if you you know if you're if you're against abortion, but like the state of Alabama. You don't take care of your children, then it's hard to really argue that you're pro-life there as well. Or for pro-choice people who are immediately say, even Bernie Sanders. I mean, the press time they said, "Well, we 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 need to have, uh, of course, we can't have abortion for gender selection or just to kind of Gattaca sort of stuff, like weed out undesirable genetics." But why not? I mean, well, like, yeah, why, so. why shouldn't we do that? Like, or, or why? Or may, we might find this that distasteful, but should it be illegal? I mean. So you can see there's a kind of moral uh, there's a moral con uh, there may uh, maybe moral confusion is is not the right word but pro choice pro life are probably not the right nomenclatures for for most people when it comes to most abortion. people are the Bill Clinton safe legal and rare most people don't want abortion criminalized 
they're not for abortions and they're comfortable with certain prohibitions like yeah. but not with it being outlawed or criminalized right that's like 80 percent of the country yeah so there's a but there's a there's a sense where christians should be able to tell have us have a christian discussion about that uh about the nature of what it means to be responsible of choice but at the same time the sanctity of of all human life so when you said that Christians should be able to help in that, I, th- I wanted to like revert to the Game of Thrones. Why don't the people get to decide? <laughs> should we let horses vote too? <laughs> and I think part of it is that we, I don't think we fully understand why we, we've lost our voice and impact in communities, which is okay. I mean, I think we need to understand it. The fact that we've lost it is, is, is I think it hurts society. I think the church can recover from it, but uh, you know, it's it's like my whole thing. When you the, the removal of religious symbols from the public square doesn't hurt Christianity. It, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts the republic because you need symbolic things that pull together society. And to me, it's just one under indication that our society doesn't have those common things anymore. And again, like I said, from from a Christian perspective, you know, the state religion is not good, and it's not good for the gospel. Gosh, I would agree. I just agreed with Fitch, uh, Fitch there. Yeah, I agree with them on that. Minute twenty three forty nine. But you know, the, it's just one of the other, you know, the other breakdowns. So this idea of what's well, a proper view of empathy, I think you're right. I mean, I think the Enlightenment in many ways gets it from Christianity, or at least a, you know, certainly Christianity influences the way the Enlightenment thinks about this. And I think most of us want to say that if we're going to have a civil society that's not totalitarian, that we need to have some sort of, you know, we need to have a balanced approach to this, this subject of empathy. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I'm rereading Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit, and there's this phrase in the preface, the truth is in the whole. The truth right. is the whole. But for him, the whole is made up of particulars. Right. So you can't... and. and, and I think the challenge with empathy is to be particular because oftentimes when we're trying to be empathetic, we typecast into somebody into a group or a, it's interesting because the millennial in this invisibility episode uh, really castigates the guy when he's in the me too patriarchy lens. But when she says, if I just see him as a dude with zits, I had zits trying to make his life better. So when she gets out of the sort of culture war, she sees him really differently so they both kind of try to empathize with him as a culture war figure instead of just seeing him as an individual right. and trying to see the complexities of his story. And I think that's the challenge, like not to sort of, you know, we can't abstract who we are from groups mm-hmm. and identities. And, and, you know, this sure. is this is on its good days, I think, what intersectionality tries to teach us. But nor can we reduce somebody to those kinds of abstractions. You know, we have to try to see the, the, the particular and the whole in each, I guess, instance of person. And I actually think uh, the gospel shows some really, I think Jesus interacted with people. There's some wonderful, there's this one, these wonderful stories and they don't all work out, I mean, whatever success is, but for instance, Jesus, the Mark version of Jesus and the rich young ruler. Yeah. You know, he, see, he sees him and he loves him, but, um, you know, he challenges him in a way now you you know you can look at the story. The rich young ruler came thinking he was okay. He walks away realizing he's not. That's progress. I think Jesus's interaction with the woman caught in adultery. I mean, there certainly is. Uh, he, I don't know if you want to call it sympathy or empathy, but he doesn't ignore. You know what what's going on there. You know, neither do I condemn you. Go and send him more. 
uh, I think the encounter with the good the, the woman at the, the Samaritan woman, even the Nicodemus thing, it's kind of that. So that seems like they're missing. That may not be the best, but I'm thinking about the Simon, the Pharisee in, in Luke, where the woman, um, you know, is, is annoying his feet. I mean, his interaction with Simon, and uh, is is it's very poignant in terms of he. He understands where Simon's coming from, uh, and yet he calls Simon to better things. Whether or not it ever happens or not, we don't know. So I think there's a sense where, if you know, it's the difference between you know, Diogenes Allen used to say that tolerance is a Christian virtue, permissiveness is not, and maybe that is a, not a bad guide when it comes to empathy. You know, empathy should cause us to be tolerant of other people. That doesn't mean we need to be permissive. Of ideas and dysfunctions, uh, understanding uh, the guy who was a broken stalker should not give him a pass for abusive things he did to that woman or the, his failure to understand that. that that's I think that's uh, kind of a gospel tension, actually. Yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, I don't know that for most people it's a tension. I think most people uh, don't have any problem with confronting with with looking at things they think are contemptuous and saying it or well, at the least tension, with their friends. Like, the attention is being able to see the person though. I think we, if we're contemptuous of something, we almost always blind ourselves to the person. Not, we, some, there's how, some, usually we have to diminish their humanity in some way. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely think that. I just think most people don't err on the side of too tolerant or too permissive, at least in their own tribe. I mean, I, I think like it's interesting because... Uh, uh, I think you're right. Like when we're when Christians are when we're around the same kind of Christians, we are are we often slobber over each other about how we're all okay, and that may or may not be the best thing. To or just like think of all the people that comment on Fox News and how duplicitous is and never watch it. Like, well, how do you know it's that duplicitous if you never watch it? Like, right, right. so it becomes it's same thing with the people at MSNBC or whatever. These things, I, I in general, I think we just echo the echo chamber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I agree with you that Jesus walks a great tension between being empathetic and being a truth teller. I think most of us, most days are either or. We're truth tellers uh, or we're empathetic. We're usually truth tellers to people in our, that aren't in our camp and we're empathetic to people that are. Or, or we, we sort of like, when right, right. somebody in our team gets a pass, the other person gets the club. Yeah, speaking the truth in love is not an easy thing to do. No. But you know what? If you really love someone, you, you eventually do that. Yeah. Or, you know, you at least you try. Yeah, you try. All right. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless. <laughs>